I'm loving, uh, I'm loving the Jesus series, and uh, we're uh, just two weeks into it. It's going to be an exciting day today as we talk about Jesus is Creator. So if you have your Bibles, take them and turn to John chapter 1, if you would. John 1, we're going to look at the first three verses in John 1, and then verse 10, then we'll take a look at the whole Bible when it comes to Jesus is Creator. Well, what a day of worship. We've had a great time today, and I've enjoyed our worship, and I hope that you have too. And, and I hope that what we learned today out of John 1 will only... Uh, elevate that worship as we worship Jesus, seeing him fully as who he really is. Before we dive into John 1, let me uh, just share a few things about the Euless Campus uh, team that meets, and we're moving towards some things in the days ahead we want you to know about. We've made significant progress. Uh, you're going to be receiving some communication with me this next week that gives some strategic times and dates, including a 21-day time of prayer from June 2nd to June 23rd. And uh, you'll hear about town halls, and you'll hear about our churchwide vote on June uh, 23rd. Uh, and we're doing this, all this uh, that I share with you week to week, and all the meetings that we're involved with uh, during the week uh, are being done so that we truly believe that we are to do our very best to lead all people to Jesus. And part of that is to just believe that God has our best days ahead of us. And, and, and knowing the best days ahead of us, we want to do everything we can to maximize our time here on planet Earth and our time and place in this city that's very quickly become a global kind of city with people all over the world moving here who need to hear about Jesus Christ. So we're going to maximize that in every way we can. When you hear about the Euless Campus team, please don't think it's about just a building because it's not. It's about people. It's about the guests that come in our doors for the first time. can be sometimes a very confusing walk to try to find out what door to come in here at our Euless campus, and sometimes it's difficult. What we'll end up doing will eventually let it be a very simple front door with a warm, inviting environment that helps people from the moment they come on our campus to feel welcome, to feel like they know where they're going, and uh, where they're, where they're going to be uh, involved in small groups and eventually worship, of course. It's going to be about families. It's about making sure that it's uh, easy for families with kids to find the places to where they go and to really reduce the amount of time and the amount of travel they have to get in order to get into those classes. And so part of what our construction will eventually do is, is make that briefer, more unified process. It's really about connecting. We, want, we have five different venues now that we have worship services in. This is the fourth one on this campus today, and we also have uh, one in our north satellite. What we'll do with Euless Campus renovations, eventually we'll make sure that we're all able to interact under one roof uh, in, in between times, not during our worship settings, but a large connector building, a commons area, and we want to connect our intergenerational church in a very, very real way. It's about improving. It's about making sure that we're the best we could possibly be, and it's really about uh, fulfilling our calling in the long run. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray with us the three prayers that we've already mentioned, the three prayers that are on the back of everything that uh, we've given you in the way of a handout, uh, that red handout that says what's next. It's all about praying these three prayers. Number one, Lord, is this of you? That's, that's really the number one question we want you to pray about. We want you to be able to be interacting with God, asking God, is this of you? Number two, what's my part? Which is part of the process of learning how we respond to the leadership that we feel like the Lord is giving us. Then number three, Lord, would you bless your people so that we can carry out the mission, so that we can do the things that we're called to do. And, and God has blessed that kind of prayer, those three prayers, in a very, very rich way. 
in our, in our history, and we're looking forward to seeing it again. So that's a lot of words in just a couple of minutes, but I did want to share those things with you. We'll keep you posted week after week. If you have your Bibles uh, and you have them open to John 1, somebody say amen. amen. All right, let's stand together, and I want to read the first three verses here in John chapter 1. Today, Jesus is creator. John, in his spiritual genealogy of Jesus, said these words which are very, very similar to Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. Catch this. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Now we know the Word is Jesus. We know that because in verse 14, the Bible says, and the word which made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. That refers to Jesus who came, born of a virgin, who walked on earth for 33 years, demonstrated that he was the son of God and God the son. His statements, his declarations, his miracles, everything he did proved that. So the word that was in the beginning with God was Jesus. And verse three says, Jesus created all things. Look down in verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. There it is again. And the world did not know him. Father, today, help us come to know Jesus well. In Jesus' name, our God's people said, amen. amen. Please be seated if you would. We began last week with a statement Jesus made, and the statement was, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. What an incredible statement. For Jesus to have made this statement, he had to be God. And yet at that moment, most did not know him as God, could not understand and comprehend that he was literally God in the flesh. But Jesus asked a question, Matthew 16, that's an all-important question for every single one of us. He asked it of Peter, who had been following Jesus now for a couple of years. And here's what he said. He said, but who do you say that I am? He first said, who do men say that I am? And their answer was, well, some say you're a prophet, some a teacher, some say uh, you're like John the Baptist or Elijah. And, and he said, but who do you say that I am? The bottom line is, who do you say that Jesus is? I say that to you in this room today. Who you say Jesus is reflects your relationship with God. As a matter of fact, if you cannot believe who Jesus says he is, it'll be very difficult, if not impossible, for you to have a relationship with him. Our relationship with him is based on our acceptance of who he is and this acceptance of what he's done on the cross for us. So it's a very, very important question. Who do you say that I am? Now, this text today that we're diving into has to do with creation because verse 3 says that Jesus was in the beginning with God, and then it says in verse 3 that all things were made by him. They came into existence by him or through him. So today I want to start with the question, what are the theories of creation? Because everything I say about the Bible, you will also have heard different ideas about creation from other people. I love the story that I heard a long time ago about an atheist who was on an airplane and found himself seated to a precocious young lady right next to him, a little girl. And he decided after realizing that this little girl believed in God, loved God, that he was going to put some doubts in her mind about God. And so here's what this atheist did. He asked the girl a question. He said, I'll give you a dollar if you can show me where God is. And after a pause, she looked at him and she said, I'll give you a dollar if you can show me where he is not. 
He's all over. Now, those of us that look and believe that God created the heavens and earth, look all around us and the heavens and the earth declare the glories of God. We see God in creation. We see God in the mountains. We see God in the ocean. We see God everywhere because we believe that God created the heavens and the earth. But, but what if you were to poll people about what they believe as to where this world came from, how planet Earth started, how it was that we were created and ended up on planet Earth as human beings, you would have a, a multiplicity, a diversity of answers. All kinds of answers would come forth. If you were to ask someone that is a follower of Hinduism or Buddhism or uh, Jainism, which is an Eastern Oriental religion, they view the world as eternal going through various phases of creation and destruction. They do not believe in a God who created the world, but the world has always been and is always either being recreated or being destroyed. And we find ourselves somewhere in that timeline hoping for a better world, but hoping also to be recreated or reincarnated to the next world if necessary. Kind of complex. Scientific theories often speculate that the world was created by rapid expansion from a single point of nearly infinite energy density. We call this the Big Bang Theory. It's derived from mathematical formulas which uh, depict backwards what may have happened in the past. Naturalist evolutionists believe the universe began about 14 billion years ago, and they say that life began as bacteria deep in rocks and has been evolving ever since. Their statement of purely natural forces without any input from God or any other deity drive the evolutionary process. There are those called theistic evolutionists. They're often deists, that is, people who do believe in God, who believe that God created the universe, started it in motion, left the universe, and allowed the natural processes to originate life and to drive evolution. A final group of People, I would call them Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, believe that a supernatural, eternal, powerful God created the world, the animals, and humans. So those three approaches to God, approaches to religion, believe that. Only Christianity further identifies the Creator. Only Christianity moves further and introduces us to the Creator. And as we read in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, that Creator has a name. He's called the Word in John 1, the Word made flesh in John 1, 14. Jesus is His name. And it will astonish you what the Bible says about Jesus as Creator, and that's what we want to look at today. If you go back to your text, I'll read it a number of times today because it's so important that we not just skim the surface of John 1, 1, but it says in 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then verse 3 again, we'll, we'll, we'll hover over this for a while. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Last week, we looked at verses 1 and 2 as as we describe the nature of Jesus as revealed by John chapter 1, verse 1. It sounded very theological because, in fact, it is. In, uh, in John 1, 1 and John 1, 2, we learn that Jesus is co-existent with the Father. We learn that He is co-eternal, that He is co-equal. 
Now those three phrases should guide us in our understanding of who Jesus is. Coexistent, co-eternal, co-equal simply mean that, that Jesus has always been. He's not a created being. It means that he's equal with God in that he and God are one. Jesus himself said this. And when we see that, we understand something more as we continue to read the Bible that, that, that God is one God but three persons. As you further read in the book of Acts, the promised Holy Spirit that Jesus told us about also began to manifest himself and we see him as one of the, one of the members of the Godhead. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There's a diagram that we use sometimes to describe that. If you look at this diagram with me, you'll see a, a blue triangle in the background. If you look carefully, that blue triangle in the background helps describe the threefold personality of God. Three persons and one God. You'll see in the middle of that triangle the name God. And then you'll see in the extensions, God is Father, God is Spirit, God is Son, and vice versa. The Father is God, the Spirit is God, the Son is God. But if you'll see on the outside of that triangle in the circle, the Father is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Son, the Son is not the Father. There are three distinct persons in one God. And so we have this picture of God in the Bible that is substantiated from Genesis to Revelation. It's beyond us because it's, in a sense, very infinite. We don't see people as being three parts, but just one. But God is not a person. He's not a human. He is God. Amen. And in that understanding of God, we see how Jesus also created the heavens and the earth. Now, when you begin to read the Bible, as we are today, you realize that in creation, when we talk about creation, which verse 3 does, we have a source, and that source is the Bible, a history book, a book that describes what happened in the beginning and what happened before the beginning. And uh, as we look at the Bible, we make questions about whether we will believe it or not in light of science, in light of reason, in light of all kinds of other thinking and thoughts. But why would we believe the Bible? Kevin DeYoung makes this statement in one of his books. He said, ultimately, we can believe the Bible because we believe in the power and the wisdom and the goodness and truthfulness of the God whose authority and whose veracity cannot be separated from the Bible. We trust the Bible because it's God's Bible. And God being God, we have every reason to take him at his word. At some point, we make a decision to say, I believe the Bible, not because I'm ignorant of any other way, but because I become convinced spiritually, convinced mentally, convinced in every way that God gave us his revelation. He spoke and it came into existence through him speaking through men who have moved by the Holy Spirit. And today we have a Bible that informs us about everything in life with which we have to do with. So we are informed by the Bible. We are given wisdom from the Bible. And in the Bible, we have a number of pictures of creation that I want to share with you today, two of them primarily. John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 tell us, along with John chapter 1, verse 3, tell us, first of all, that creation has a beginning. That's the first thing you need to know. That we're not just part of something that's just always been. There was a beginning. In fact, in John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning, the translation really is, in the beginning of beginnings. There was a moment in time where there was nothing but God, and God acted, and something came into being. 
There was a moment when there was nothing. There was a, mo a moment when everything was dark and void and formless, and there was nothing at all except God. Read Genesis chapter 1, and you'll see that as well. Creation has a beginning point. Now, there are various creation views, even under the banner of those who believe the Bible, either wholeheartedly or partially. Those various creation views are the young earth view of the earth being created in six literal days, evening and morning were the first day, evening and morning were the second day, and they hold to a very literal view of creation in Genesis 1. There are others who hold to an old earth view. Some of them are gap theorists who believe that between Genesis 1, 1 and 2, and verse 3, there's a gap of time. And in that gap of time, they accommodate scientific aging that may be thousands and thousands, even hundreds of thousands of years passed before God began creating uh, animals and the weather and the sun, the moon, the stars, and the oceans, and so forth. And they do that to accommodate scientific aging. There are also those that call themselves progressive or theistic creationists who try to accommodate their view to uh, allow for some sort of or form of evolution to enter into some creation account. Now, here's why I believe that the young earth, literally six days of creation view, is accurate. The reason I believe that is because in Genesis chapter 1 and in John chapter 1, we have literal words that describe a literal creation. The Bible has a very clear message. It's not ambiguous at all. Some would say, that Genesis chapter 1 is not literal, but rather it's figurative or allegorical or symbolic, that God never intended for us to know the days of creation and specifically what happened on one day or the other day. But I say that both Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 1 can be held as a literal description of how God created the heavens and the earth. There are figurative language in different pieces of the Bible, but if it parts up, there's symbolism in the book of Revelation, for example, but not in the creation account of Genesis 1 and not in the description of Jesus as creator in John 1. These are literal words describing literal events in literal time frames. And if we look at the Bible in these phrases as literal, it is not a multimillion-year process. It doesn't continue to unfold. The aorist tenses in John chapter 1 are clearly past tenses, and it eliminates any process of ongoing creation. John understood it as done. All the Bible writers understood it as done. Many scientists look back at what the Bible says about creation and considers that it is done. So the Bible tells us that creation has a specific beginning point and that Jesus literally spoke and the earth came into existence when it wasn't in existence before that time. But that's a powerful thing to grapple with, to wrap your mind around, to wrap your arms around that God has the power, that our God, that Jesus has the power to speak into darkness, to speak into a void, to speak into nothingness before the worlds were created, before the animals, the rivers, the mountains, before everything just to speak and create the elements with which he brought together that forms the world we live in right now. It's amazing to me. It's immense how big our God is if our God did that, and he did. One of the things that I looked at over the last few weeks as I've looked at this subject is the theory of how the eyes came into being. By eyes, I mean the literal eye by which we see things. 
I'm gonna put a screen up, a picture up. I don't want you to be frightened by this, but this is a, this is a, a series of eyes, pictures of eyes. And here's what I want you to see. Not that any of us had our eyes taken. That's, uh, oh, those are animals up there, just in case you don't recognize that. Unless we have some green people in the room. I don't see any right now. But think with me for a moment the complexity of the eyes. Think about what it means that we have eyes that function. For the eye to function, many perfectly coordinated steps must occur simultaneously. It must be clean and moist. Tear glands and movable eyelids are given so that that happens. The cornea must be transparent and clear for light to pass through it to the pupil. It has to have a self-adjusting aperture to an automatic lens, so to speak, that focuses it on the back of the retina, where 130 million light-sensitive rods and cones cause extraordinary photochemical reactions that transform the light into electrical impulses. Some one billion of these are transmitted every second to the brain, which then takes appropriate action and lets us see an image. The eye either functions as a whole or not at all. It's either perfect or perfectly useless. How then could it evolve by chance is a good question. Is it really possible, let alone even plausible, that thousands of random mutations could have coincidentally evolved simultaneously to produce an organ that's a wonderful, um, amazing thing of perfect synchronization? And nature abounds with all these kinds of examples such as mind-boggling coordination of the brain, which has 12 billion cells with 120 trillion connections. Each neuron itself, marvelously complex, 6 billion molecules of protein, 600 billion of RNA, and many unknown substances which somehow produce our thoughts. And science tells us that. So looking at the scientific explanation of eyesight and thoughts, we can literally come to a conclusion that says, this wasn't an accident. It didn't just unfold. One of the great minds of recent decades is a man named Leconte Dunois. He was a French biophysicist and philosopher who believed in evolution. But he honestly doubted evolution at the same time. Here's what he said. We're forced to admit that the eye was perfected and started to improve from the moment it enabled the animal to see, even though in a deformed and crude manner, in my opinion. But it only served its purpose after it had been optically constructed and linked by nervous cells to the sensitive optical center in the brain. How can we explain the simultaneous evolution of the elements necessary for vision as long as vision did not exist before? The simple sensitivity of light to a particular region of the epiderm in no way explains the ultimate formation of the lens of the iris and the retina. And this, from an evolutionist, it says, the eye could not have evolved. What a picture. What a demonstration that God, in His infinite wisdom and His complex ability, spoke. And when we were created, we were created with the eyes that allow us to see. Now, when you go to John chapter 1, verse 3, it also says all things were created at this time. In fact, three times in John chapter 1, verse 3, you found this same phrase using the Greek word agenato, which means to, to bring into existence. When you bring someone something into existence, it wasn't in existence before. And that phrase is used three times in that one verse. Look at the verse again in verse 3. All things were brought into existence through him, that is through Jesus. 
And apart from him, nothing came into existence that has come into existence. You see what John is doing is he's wording the same thing in two different ways. First of all, he states the positive. All things came into existence through Jesus. And then he states the negative side of that, just so that no one will make any mistake about it. And apart from him, without his involvement, without him doing it, nothing has come into existence that has ever come into existence. That is, Jesus created all things that are. That's an amazing statement to me. Jesus created all things that are. Take your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 1, if you would. And I just want to read the first five verses. We could read the first chapter or two. But in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, we see an amazing picture that we need to look at today for just a moment. In the beginning, the Bible says, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. So there you have God, you have the Spirit. And then the Bible says, then God said, let there be light. Now remember the word, the word word actually describes Jesus in John 1, and that Jesus was the creator. And so the Bible says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning one day. Very literal, very plain. God spoke through the word. It was created. The Spirit of God was there. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all there at creation. And if you think about what God created at creation, it's mind-boggling. Think about the all things. If I put pictures on the screen as I describe the planetary description, you'll be familiar with what we see, and you'll be enlightened by what we envision in our minds as well. The galaxy in which planet Earth is found is the Milky Way, a galaxy that is 100,000 light years across. That is, if you could harness and ride a beam of light, it would take you 100,000 years at 160,000 miles a second to cross the Milky Way. It contains 400 billion stars. During any 24-hour period, the rotation of the Milky Way galaxy carries the Earth about 12 million miles. Over a century, the Earth travels about 400 billion miles in this rotation. Yet astronomers tell us that the galaxy is only one galaxy in a group of about 20 in one corner of a universe that contains about 100 billion such galaxies, each with millions of suns larger than our sun. Yet our God, the Bible says, measures these galaxies as if he's measuring them with the outstretched palm of his almighty hand. In other words, it's like a trivial measurement to God as though you and I might measure a two before three feet long by holding our hands out. Our God measures the universe and all created things in that same way. And Jesus, the Bible says, is the one who created it all. So creation has a beginning point. And secondly, you need to see today that creation has a creator. Look at the last line of verse 3. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Literally, nothing that exists has come into being apart from his creative touch and his command. Now, David in the Psalms said this in Psalm chapter 33 
and verse 6. Love this verse. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts, all the heavens, all of the universe, all the Milky Way-type galaxies, all of the billions and billions and billions of stars and solar systems, all spoken by one Lord, and that's Jesus. Genesis says, God said. David concurs, and he spoke, and the created elements came into being, and he brought them together to complete things. That's what David said about the Lord. That's what John said about Jesus. Now, Paul the Apostle was writing a few years later after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and of course, he was one of the most educated men of the day. And in Colossians chapter 1, here's what Paul said. Paul said, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And then Paul says something that, that John doesn't mention, that Genesis doesn't mention, and says this, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Not only is Jesus creator, according to Paul, but Jesus holds all this together. Aren't you glad somebody is holding it together? The naturalists and the scientists fears the coming apart of the world by natural cause. They fear the world will come apart by weather or by some other catastrophe. They fear that things will get out of balance, that somehow the earth won't last as long as it's supposed to last. And so sometimes we're in fear of our future because of that. But my Bible tells me that Jesus holds it all together. That means there's a purpose, there's no fear. That means there's a plan, and that plan is in the hands of the one that measures every created thing in the palm of his hand. Jesus is big, people. Jesus is big. Jesus is able more than we can even imagine. If you go to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, you have another amazing passage. And here's what it says. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions in many ways... And these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. The author of Hebrews ends this by saying, when he had made purifications of sin, when he died on the cross, when he paid for our sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This Jesus who created everything also created a way for you to know him, for you to be forgiven, for you to follow him as a follower of Jesus Christ. What an amazing creator who loved his creation, who loves us. So we have this picture that John gives us that creation has a beginning point and creation has a creator. He made it. He holds it together. He allows it to reflect his power. The whole earth declares the glory of God. Whether you talk about the mountaintops, where you look out over a vast range of mountains that didn't just happen to pop up on the surface of the earth, or whether you look at the vastness of the oceans as you stand on the beach and wonder how the waves come and how they ebb and flow. And when you read the book of Job, which says that God declared to those waves, this far you shall come and no further, and they actually obey him, then you realize the, the magnanimousness of the God that we follow and that we worship. All creation testifies, all creation gives glory to Jesus who created the heavens and the earth from the largest thing that we can imagine to the very smallest with all the detail. Jesus created all. 
And the Bible says he holds it all in the palm of his hand. When you see Jesus as creator, we understand how and why he regularly suspended the laws of nature and simultaneously upheld the continuity and coordination of creation. You know, if the sun holds still for a space of about a day, doesn't that make the oceans out of balance? Doesn't that create tsunamis and earthquakes and all kinds of problems and complications on the other side of the world? Uh, you would think that that's what happens unless the one who makes the sun hold still in the sky for the space of about a day, as God did in the Old Testament time, holds everything in the palm of his hand. How else can you explain the flood and the trek of the animals to the ark whereby God allowed them to know where to go, when to go, just before he allowed the deluge to come to judge the earth? How else can you explain the parting of the Red Sea where Moses, a simple man, just like you and I, stood, held his arms up, and the Red Sea opened up so that the Israelites could cross over on dry land? How else can you explain that the waves came back together when those who were tormenting them and decided to kill them were in the middle of that place and they saw the sea closed on them in an unfortunate and final way? How else can you explain that God stopped the sun for the space of about a day? How else can you explain that Jonah was swallowed by a whale at a specific time, in a specific place, and put back on the land at the specific place that, that God told Jonah to go and remained yet still alive? How can you explain that? How can you explain that Jesus walked on the water without sinking? How can you explain that Jesus raised the dead? How can you explain that Jesus healed the blind and the deaf and the lame? How can you explain that Jesus Christ rose from the dead if he is not Jesus, God the Son, and creator of all? How can you explain that? So creation has a beginning point. Creation has a creator, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus. If we can believe this, we can believe he is able to intervene into any situation and rescue and deliver us when we need it. When we sing songs like, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word." This is the word that spoke and all the elements came into being and everything came together to make heaven and earth. This is the word that Jesus spoke that allowed us to have life as humans, that let us have eyes that can actually see. That's the one that we trust. We trust the person of Jesus. We trust the person of God the Son. It's sweet to trust in Him. What else are you going to trust in? Who else has that kind of authority and that kind of ability but Jesus? One and only, if not chance, it's with purpose. It's with a plan. When I look at Jesus as creator, it brings me to some conclusions. If Jesus is creator, then we're stewards and responsible, but we never forget who controls the world. If Jesus is creator, he is not limited by time, by events, by effect, or by the creation itself. He can do and does do anything he desires to do. If Jesus is creator, I can confidently pray to him knowing he is able. He's able. If Jesus is creator, we worship everywhere we are, on the mountains, on the seashore, on, on the ocean, wherever we are, when we remember who created the mountains, who created the rivers, who created the oceans, we can worship him there. 
If Jesus is creator, we marvel at all he's done, but we rejoice that he knows us intimately and that we can know him. And I'll tell you this, it ought to fuel our worship of the God who created us and knows us and want, it may, makes us want everybody that we know to be able to know the Jesus we know. And I'll tell you this as well. It tells us that if Jesus created this heaven and this earth in such an incredible way, what must the new heaven and the new earth look like one day when all this is destroyed and he creates it again for existence forever and ever and ever. Think about that with me. Think about why you worship him. Think about why you surrender yourself to him. Think about why you embrace everything he says because he is Jesus. But I want to come back to the question that Jesus asked. And here's the question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And as you think about what we've talked about today, you need to answer the question. Do I believe that Jesus is who he says he is? And if I do, I am willing to trust him for my forgiveness, for my relationship with him, for my eternity, and I'm willing to trust him for my tomorrow because he is who he says he is. I want you to bow your head for just a moment, close your eyes. Our counselors are coming to the front. We're gonna sing a song in just a moment after I pray. And you know what this song is going to do? It's gonna remind us of Jesus' ability, his power to do whatever is necessary. In these last few moments of our service today, there may be some decisions you need to make. First of all, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to know that today's message demonstrates who you have said no to. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you have said no to the one that created the heavens and the earth. That's how great he is. That's how powerful he is. And the great thing about it today, if you're here and you're able to hear what I've just said, you can trust him now. If you never have, you can now trust him. And it's sweet to trust in Jesus. It may be that you're a believer who has wandered away. You're kind of living the way you want to live right now. Is that really all that wise? To live in your own way when the creator of the universe has a plan for your life? It could be today that you want to be a part of what God's doing in this church. I just want you to make the decisions that lead you closer to Jesus today. Father, in Jesus' name, over these next few moments, as we worship, as we reflect on who you are, I would ask you to move our hearts, not just our minds, move our hearts to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me right now?